3: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. And I am Ben. You are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. So... As we begin today's episode, we're going to look back on some of the stuff we have done in the past. We've talked about ghosts before, right guys? Yes, we've done several episodes on
4: ghosts. We've talked about, we've talked about hunting. We've talked about what a, a haunting is, demon possession, yeah. possession, possession, exorcisms.
3: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so in one of our previous episodes, we asked each other and you listeners for uh, any stories or personal experiences with ghosts. If you have uh, yet to write to us with your story, please send it in. Uh, you never know when it might be the next installment of our creepy theater. We had an anonymous
4: person write in after our Jin episode, and she, he, someone hmm. told us a story about how they believe they were... Experiencing some strange stuff in their bedroom one day with a gin. Yeah, some strange phenomenon. Uh And we got an email once yeah. that was uh, from
5: an anonymous person that just said something to the effect of demons are real. Don't talk about
3: them. You shouldn't talk about them because they'll like coax them out of their shadowy domain. Ah, uh, it seemed you know, very serious. The belief that happens sometimes in southern U.S. folklore that one can speak something up. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't. Don't be mistaken, ladies and gentlemen, there are parts of the world where people still put blankets over mirrors if a storm comes at night. Mirrors are creepy, if you think about it. Have you ever seen a kid have that existential question when they look at a mirror for the first time and say, oh, it's, it's me? Yeah, but yet it's not
4: me because everything's reversed. Everything's topsy-turvy. I would say I've had that experience a few times as an adult. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. a fan
3: of mirrors. I'm not ever gonna be the biggest mirror fan. You won't find me at MirrorCon. Good with rear view mirrors,
5: side mirrors. They help me not crash, but in, right. in general, I, I wouldn't say I avoid them, but they do kind of give me the, the, the creeps a little bit.
3: We got a little bit sidetracked, although you may have, uh, you may have had something that feels like a supernatural experience with a mirror. Uh, have, have we talked on air about this? Have any of us talked about ghost hunting? I feel like we may have in the past.
4: We did an episode on ghost hunting, I believe, uh, that was
3: pretty focused on it, mm-hmm. on when we did the ghosts episode. Right, right. And uh, today we're looking at not ghosts, but at the people who look for ghosts or other supernatural phenomenon. Uh, we're going to focus a little bit more on a specific group of people. And when we say supernatural phenomenon, we mean not just spirits of the human dead or the venerated ancestors or astral projections from some Project Stargate survivor, right? Mm -hmm. We're also talking about incorporeal non-human entities, angels, extradimensional sentient beings, and, of course, demons, none of which have been proven to exist. Just going to put that in there at the beginning.
4: At least from a scientific standpoint, a lot of people believe in these things, um, but they haven't been proven.
3: When you say extra
5: dimensional minds, um, extra dimensional beings, it makes me also think of, you know, extraterrestrials. Is that, I mean,
4: yeah, perhaps, I don't know. Who knows?
3: Like that cake song, perhaps, perhaps.
4: So as you can imagine, guys, this is a bit of a controversial subject. There, there are a lot of deeply held beliefs out there. Uh, I have them, you have them, um, you know the, but the concept of ghost hunting that we're looking out here that we're looking at here it's it's been celebrated for years uh, mm-hmm. over the centuries people have been trying to figure out what these things are mm-hmm. if they do exist where are
3: they and it's been dismissed largely by the modern ivy tower the academic mainstream the the scientific world My pet name for this episode is Strick's Favorite because our coworker Jonathan Strickland, who collaborates with us frequently, long-time listeners, you probably recognize him from some of our tech-focused episodes, he hates ghost hunting. He hates even bringing it up. It irritates him. He doesn't like it when people speak it up, although I don't agree entirely with his perspective. He does raise some valid points in these rants. First, as, as Matt said, there's no universally scientifically accepted or reproducible proof of ghosts. What we mean by reproducible is that, uh, if there, if there was some kind of proof of ghosts, then that would mean that Noel could go into our haunted studio and through uh, a correct ritual, lighting candles. Some form of prestidigitation, perhaps. Yes, yes, just so. Uh, through some form, be able to uh, summon a ghost or divine something or somehow interact with it. Without, and, yeah. and that would mean that you could go do the same thing. Exactly. Which, which
5: does lead one to believe that many of these experiences are deeply personal and highly subjective.
3: Yeah, therefore, right, if these entities exist. So if there's no proof then it means that we don't know what we're testing and we don't have that objectivity, right? Because as, as you said, no, there's a personal subjective thing. And if we don't, know what comprises these entities then we don't know what we're really testing for we also have no
5: universal uniform set of criteria for what constitutes a ghost i mean there are people that call themselves experts as we're going to get into in a little bit that might say oh this uh this range of electromagnetic interference you know means that there was some sort of specter involved but then somebody else might say no 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 i think it's more this range and since there's no actual proof, it's very hard to figure out which range is the correct range and using what tools, you know, Mm -hmm. et cetera.
3: Right. You'll often hear about temperature drops, variations in electromagnetic fields and stuff like that. But there's no question that these variations can have mundane causes.
5: Now, that's not to say that there aren't some pretty convincing stories out there uh, about some of these paranormal experiences and encounters. And we're actually going to talk about some of the most convincing, shall we say, um, accounts of these from two individuals who consider themselves experts in the field.
4: Yeah, a lot of people consider these two the experts, the people that are talked about by History Channel and Ooh. Discovery or whoever makes Ooh. a documentary on TV. They talk about these people, Ed and Lorraine Warren.
3: Dun, dun, dun. Actually, Noel, can you do the sound effect? You're way better with these. Dun, dun, dun. There we go. Noel Brown, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the rumors are true. This is our episode on the famous slash infamous uh, demonologist medium duo, self-claimed Ed and Lorraine Warren. So ghost hunters or paranormal investigators, what are they? They explore specific locations reported to be hotbeds of supernatural activity. And in the course of their work, these groups or individuals will research the history of an area as extensively as possible. Did anyone die here? What happened? Why was the population of this mental asylum reported to be 108 one month and then 103 the next month and with no record of departure? Stuff like that. And then also conduct interviews with alleged witnesses and or skeptics, people on either side of the fence, while also employing electronics, digital thermometers, uh, some pretty high-tech camera gear as well. We've all seen we've all seen this set up before in film and on television.
4: So at the heart, paranormal investigators and ghost hunters are fact finders. That's what they're trying to do. They're getting as much as information as they can, then going into a place and then trying to find further information. Hopefully, yeah, they're looking. For, I mean, they are essentially
5: tackling this in the form of like a scientific question, right. where they're trying to come away with some sort of evidence that can be quantified, you know, to show the proof of. You know, these events.
3: Right. And hopefully, you know, hopefully that this is a situation where someone is just looking for the truth, not a preconfirmed belief. There are, of course, oh, we have to say this as, as a present, almost any endeavor. There are, of course, charlatans, goons, confidence men and women who are bilking the gullible and the credulous out of money by saying, Things like I mean, this is tangentially related, but saying things like "I can talk to your dead mother," and I know you miss her, and she's in the room, and she misses you as well. She tells you something, something mm-hmm. about your your uh, you're moving, you're you're moving like in not not just in time or space, but also yeah. uh, uh, emotionally. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm getting a sense. S- 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 Sharon? Sharon, yes. <gasps> yeah. Right. Sharon Stone. No. <laughs> From the
5: movie Basic Instinct?
3: Oh, oh, I think the spirit is real, you guys, and passing around. And saucy,
5: too. That was a pretty pretty blue movie, if I remember. Oh, correctly.
3: that's true. Yeah. That's true. You know, funny piece of trivia. Apparently uh she only did that famous shot. That interview shot where, with the light crossing only did it because the director said, like, we're not going to, don't worry. None of nothing indecent will be in the shot because of the way we'll frame it. Yeah. We're in a tight shot. Don't worry. So she was unfortunately swindled. Yep. And maybe, uh, and you know, that's, that's similar somehow, speaking of fantastic segues to ghost hunting, uh, as an act of charlatans. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But there are other kinds of ghost hunters, right? Yeah,
4: sure. There are the skeptical ones that are going in to try and dispel some of these beliefs of people, let's say, who live in a house that they personally believe is haunted. To come in and say, hey, look, the feeling that you're getting is because of the electromagnetic radiation coming off of this one device in your house. It's uh, it's not a big problem. That sound you're hearing is actually water dropping in this pipe over here. And that's kind of their purpose of going in in the first place.
3: It's only the wind. Yeah. Right. And, of course, we know that not all skeptics are equal. There are some people who are doing fantastic work and actually making the world uh, a more transparent, easily understood place. And then there are people who have like a weird emotional thing, like Mm -hmm. something happened to them when they're a kid and they want an excuse to feel righteously indignant about it. Sure. Which is like you can support a good cause and not be a jerk. So how long have people been hunting ghosts, though? Well, The search for ghosts, the search for paranormal
5: activity, paranormal experiences is totally inextricably bound up with this quest, this idea that we need proof of the afterlife, which is a powerful impulse. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it goes across religions and social, you know, statuses. I mean, it is something that a lot of human beings are universally fascinated with and you know, engaged in a search for answers about. And so from this perspective, we can say that ghost hunting is likely as old as religion itself, as the idea of having faith in something that you can't see that somehow guides your path, you know. That's a good point, yeah. And so the roots of what would ultimately become what we know as modern ghost hunting, um, you can see these in the works of a guy named Emanuel Swedenborg, um, who's best known for a book, Called Heaven and Hell, a Treatise on the Afterlife, which was published in 1758.
3: And then there's Franz Mesmer, a another uh proponent of ghost hunting, parapsychological investigation into psychic phenomenon. Mesmer, you might say that name sounds familiar. He is the founder of Mesmerism, which is, of course, the the um the demo reel for what would later be called hypnosis.
4: And then you've got lots of other professionals who kind of come out from the woodworks here who will put on shows, who will, you know, uh, conjure or talk to a ghost for money and, you know, get paid and kind of kind of be like a, a parlor show or something like that. And then there's a history of that that goes forward until we get to the point where there are these amateur groups of people who get together and want to do the same thing that these people are doing.
3: Because they believe it to be true. Exactly. Not, not, uh, because they want to do a stage show, right? So organized amateur ghost hunting, uh, dates back to these clubs that arose during the spiritualist era, the time of the theosophy school. But these, these clubs that sprang up, uh, very Victorian in nature, places like the London Ghost Club or the Society for Psychic Research, critics have lobbed numerous allegations against these folks and said they're modern descendants, not really scientific in nature. They're calling them instead, like, pseudo-mystics.
4: And they call these the modern versions of this techno-mystics, which is pretty cool. I like that a lot. That's a band name if I've ever heard one.
3: And in contrast, academic parapsychological institutions or groups are trying to maintain a solid methodology and application of the scientific method. And they've made some progress in this kind of field. And that's where we found out about stuff like infrasound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we also know that um, we also know that there's been this strange love-hate relationship between allegations of psychic phenomenon and application of science, right? Even in 1853, a guy named Robert Hare, who was a chemist by trade, said he was experimenting with mediums and reported positive results. Mm. But we've also seen people who say, you know, I've investigated this and I found a mundane cause. And, you know, it's sad that we didn't find a ghost this time, but it's good that we know what happens. So which camp do Ed and Lorraine Warren Fall into let's let's meet these folks. Who are they actually? So before Ed passed away in August
5: of two thousand six, he and his wife Lorraine were a husband and wife duo, a team of paranormal investigators. Ed Warren was born in nineteen twenty six. He was a retired police officer and a Navy veteran, and a self taught demonologist is how he described himself. Uh, Lorraine was born in nineteen twenty seven, just one year apart, and she claimed to have clairvoyant powers and could function as a medium
3: so she said demonology uh, is just what it sounds like a systematic study of demons or beliefs so it doesn't it's a branch of thre- theology but it doesn't necessarily mean um you you can be a demonologist in a purely academic way you don't have to believe in demons to be one
4: now this couple you have probably heard of several of the cases that they've looked at that they've garnered national attention there's been things written about some of these cases in mainstream media and on ABC News. I mean, main major places have talked about the cases that this
3: couple has covered. Mm, Especially through the 70s and 80s into the 90s. They founded New England's oldest paranormal research center in 1952. It is the New England Society for Psychic Research. And, hey, do you like museums?
4: They've got an awesome museum, Noel. I do like museums, actually. I'm
5: quite fond of them. We should check it out. For listeners who might want to take a look, you can actually visit the Warren's Occult Museum in Monroe, Connecticut, and you can find out more about that at warren's.net. That's W-A-R-R-E-N-S dot net.
3: 482 Monroe Turnpike. Uh, zip code 06468. For those of you interested in a road trip, we assume if you live in the area, you probably already heard about mm-hmm. this.
4: I think, look, I'm I'm gonna say it. I think we have to go there, guys. It's it's our duty to go and shoot some stuff there if they'll let us. Great.
3: Uh, But before we go there, it's time for a word from our sponsors.
6: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away.
3: here's where it gets crazy we've teased a bit about these cases that garner national attention but we haven't talked too much about them some of these captured the public's attention as you as you said matt and they've become films and and pieces of modern american folklore we could just name some films that have been based on these cases right now if you want Sure, the Amityville
4: Horror was the biggest one mm-hmm. that that I remember at least. The Amityville Horror
3: 2 was probably is it is it <laughs> I don't two? know. The Amityville Horror 3G. Uh-huh, right. Is that a thing? It's got to be. So this entire Amityville uh film series also spawned a series of novels, right? Oh, excuse me. It's Amityville to the possession. And yes, there
5: definitely is Amityville 3D. You're absolutely wow. right. Uh, yeah, you guys, you got to check out the cover. It's a uh, alien claw reaching out of a, like a window in this house. And it's like this faux 3D poster warning in this movie. You are the victim. Amityville 3D. Oh, it's the claw. It's coming, it's coming <laughs> to you. It's going to pull, pull your face off.
4: It's good. Check it out. What a great time to be alive. I. <laughs> I wish I could have gone to a theater with a 3D film like that. Uh huh. Oh man, wish I wasn't
3: born in 83. What a time to be alive. So, uh, the most recent one is Amityville The Awakening, which is due to come out in January of next year. And then there's also The Conjuring, right? The Conjuring 2. Yeah,
5: I think that's coming.
3: Uh yes, yeah, the Conjuring 2 is on the way. The Conjuring 2 is based on the Enfield Poltergeist. All right, so let's talk about what Amityville actually was. What do, what do we what do we mean when we say Amityville? Uh what we're referencing directly is uh, a town in Long Island, New York and a house. So, in this house 112 Ocean Avenue in Long Island in Amityville. A fellow named Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed six members of his family. He was convicted of second-degree murder in 1975. And in December of that same year, another family moved in, George and Kathy Lutz, and their three children. They lived there for about a month. And then they left, and they said that they were terrorized by paranormal phenomenon. So according to, this is where the Warrens come in. According to the Warrens, some events happened. According to the Lutz family, some other events happened. According to DeFeo, who is alive and in jail as we record this, another separate events happen. So the stories begin to diverge. And that's something we find often in these paranormal cases. If you want to read the Warrens account, you can visit their website, warrens.net. They have a special section for Amityville. So the Lutz family described the following things, right? According to the Warrens, uh, Things started to go wrong from the jump. A Catholic priest comes while the family's unpacking to bless the home. He gets to the second floor, and he hears a voice screaming, get out, when he is sprinkling holy water around the place. He didn't tell them about the voice, though. That's the thing. Apparently, Mm. he didn't say anything. It's just an everyday life life experience.
5: You don't have weird booming voices coming to you at irregular times?
3: They're usually you. (laughs)
5: <laughs> well, I'm usually responding to the one that I'm hearing. So, oh,
3: yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, that's me. Apologies. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, then we're all good. I think we should all, we could all work on being better listeners. I certainly could, huh? Uh So this priest didn't say anything, but he did apparently warn them, do not use the upstairs room as a bedroom. Don't let anyone sleep in there. And oh. as we know in horror
0: movies, whenever someone's running away from a demon or a monster, they always run upstairs. Right, <laughs> right. Don't
3: try to make it to the Camry. Just hide in the closet
4: so so just really quickly to put it into context this yeah. is when this family moved in, it was only thirteen thirteen months or it was just a little bit of time after six people had been shot and killed in this same house right yeah. and whether or not whether or not it actually you know causes some kind of haunting to occur, an awful act like that that it's, does something psychologically I think to a human being with having that knowledge, mm-hmm. just walking around a place where six people died extremely recently. I don't know. I'm, I'm, as I'm looking, as I'm hearing all of this stuff and we're going over the story, I'm keeping uh, that as a lens. Like no matter what I believe is happening there, there is certainly psychological, uh, there's, there are certainly psychological effects playing on this family's mind.
3: Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. And then there's the argument too, uh that, perhaps certain traumatic events can leave some sort of immaterial but real uh, residue, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so George was plagued by a constant chill, and he just hung around the fireplace. Uh, he also got a little bit uh, messier over time. His hygiene really started to fail him, and uh, Kathy's health, along with his, was in decline. Their daughter started spending all her time in her room playing with an imaginary friend who was a red-eyed pig called Jody who could transform. and uh, Seems legit. And could only be seen by people that she wanted to see her. That's according to Jody. Mysterious odors, black stains on toilets and ceramic fixtures, a.k.a. I'm just going to make the call on that one, a.k.a. mold. Yeah, I was about to say. yeah, Right? That's not necessarily it just a little scrubbing mm-hmm, yeah, some scrubbing bubbles, so uh flies the one thing you might remember from some of the films is that a bunch of flies appeared out of out of the middle of nowhere.
5: sounds like they just needed a housekeeper, like they needed you know
3: to mm-hmm. yeah you know, <laughs> flies are' there roaches were there terrifying roaches mold apparently there was a uh George maintains that his wife turned into a ninety year old hag and began levitating off the bed one night. But again, these stories this this is coming from the Warrens, and these stories are mutable and have changed over time. Anyway, and there
5: was the account of the spooky crumbs, mm. you know, in the kitchenette. That, you know, <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, no. I get the feeling that you're not buying this. No, no, I'm just trying to, you know, narrow down the source here. I mean, it sounds like a lot of this was definitely, you know, housekeeping based. I'm
3: just <laughs> right, right. Uh, so they couldn't get the priest to come back. Because every time they tried to call them, the phones would cut out, according to them. So they walked around themselves trying to, I guess, purify it uh, by reciting prayers. And then they said a chorus of voices erupted, telling them to stop. At the last night, day 28, uh, there's all this banging uh, in the house as though marching bands are going there, uh, furniture's moving on its own. So they leave. Which, you know, I understand. If you are in a situation and feel that way, I think we've all seen enough horror movies where we're not going to do that thing where we say, oh, no, let's stay. Or where's that strange noise coming from? Run toward the noise. (laughs) Well, yeah, you got to investigate.
5: Yeah. You You, you split up, too. You got to split up. You guys stay here. Or how about this? You go to the basement. Mm-hmm. And I'll go upstairs mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll meet in the middle.
3: Right. And we'll discuss what we've learned. I'm, you know what? I'm going to take, uh, this flashlight. The batteries are dying, but I'll be right back. I'll just give it a shake and just then it'll, it make, shake. it'll make for some kind of
5: like stroby flashes. Right. Give it a ghost a chance to appear. I'm
3: so sorry. Uh, this I'm is, there. I mean, this is, this is perfect because, uh, we know these horror movie rules, which show up in the Amityville horror series, but not in the real life Amityville, you know, on, uh, they one twelve ocean, so twenty days after the Lutzes leave the place, Ed and Lorraine Warren are called by a news reporter with Channel Five in New York, a guy named Marvin Scott. He had covered the story before he had worked with the Warrens on a uh, on a previous investigation. so the Warrens reporters, some parapsychologists uh, get together at the house. The Lutz family refuses to go back in the home. And here's their account. So remember we said Ed is a self-taught demonologist. Mm -hmm. Lorraine claims to be clairvoyant and work as a medium in their team. So Ed was, according to the Warrens, physically pushed to the floor while using a religious provocation in the basement. Lorraine was overwhelmed by the sense of a demonic presence and was plagued by her psychic impressions of the DeFeo families being laid on the floor, covered in white sheets with a sense of being physically pushed back. So uh, to our earlier point, these are personal impressions being described, right? These are not, at least on the Warren's parts, these are not objective measurements. Now if they had parapsychologists measuring stuff, uh, Did they see temperature drops? Things like that. The most important thing to note about the Warrens here is that they are true believers. They're devout Catholics. They are not going in skeptically. They're, you know, religion would be one of the tools that they use to try to subdue or remove or erase some sort of presence. So. They also say the land was, in the past, used by a fellow named John Ketchum. In the course of their historical research, uh, a black magician who had a cottage on uh, the land prior to the construction of the house in 24, and that he requested to be buried on the property, and his remains are there to this day.
5: But that's not uncommon. I mean, you know, a lot of times people who had an estate would... Have you know arranged for them to be buried in the backyard and with like a private cemetery, maybe next to some other family members that died.
3: Right, exactly. Especially you know, as you said, in a place that has a lot of land. Right. So the problems that we run into here are that the stories again are mutable, Mm -hmm. unchangeable, Uh, and we have Ronald DeFeo Jr. Who killed his father, his mother, two, his two brothers and his two sisters. He claimed that they were planning to kill him, uh, that his parents were. And in the course of his, in the course of the investigation, his conviction, his appeals, things like that, uh, his lawyer launched, uh, the insanity defense, right? Got a psychiatrist to Mm -hmm. back it up. They said that DeFeo was abusing heroin, LSD, he had antisocial personality disorder. uh, But with all that, the psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Harold Zolan, said, well, he knew what he was doing. Here's the weird part, though. All six of the victims were found laying on their stomachs, no signs of a struggle. And the rifle had not been fitted with a sound suppressor. So they heard...
4: As right. Each person, got whoever shot. was last mm-hmm.
3: heard five shots. Uh, there were no sedatives, it seemed. So someone should have been awakened by the scale of it. And the medical investigators were like, how did this happen so fast? You know, and he also claimed, let's see, he claimed that his parents are going to kill him. Then he claimed that he killed his father for life insurance. He also uh, tried to say that he had personal things like marriages that later turned out not to be true. And over the years, he has changed his story frequent, frequently, so frequently, in fact, that it's hard to know what actually happened other than that he killed the people. As for the allegations... Of supernatural phenomenon, what we are seeing instead is that there is a history of drug abuse. Mm-hmm. And drugs, as we know, can either, some will say, bring you to a greater new reality or just blur the line between the exterior and the interior of your mind. At this point, Amityville is not considered proof positive, uh, but of anything other than... The- An excellent Ghost story. And the mutability of memory.
4: There are a couple of interesting physical takeaways. I know one of them was a photo that the Warrens allegedly got of a a little boy, I think, or at least a spirit that they say, uh, was manifested as a little boy. Mm -hmm. And it's on their website. You can see it. It looks like a photo of a little boy. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of a spirit it is, but allegedly there wasn't any, there weren't any kids in the house at the time when they shot it. I don't know if this is the originating point of mm-hmm. the idea of an uh native american use of land that then affects the modern construction but they did believe that a, a, a tribe of indians used that land for uh I think for sick or in not insane they wouldn't have used the word insane with native americans but they used it they used that land to house people who were sick and the warrens believed that this May have led to negative energy being in that house. I don't know. I just think it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's important to see it from their perspective as mm-hmm. they are probably true believers. I want to say at least in these kinds of things.
3: Right. And you know, well, there's, there are other things too. So DeFeo told primetime that. He initially said, I heard voices, those vo- those booming voices commanded me to kill. And later he went on primetime and said that he was making that up to get a better insanity plea. Jeez. Uh, the, one of the lawyers who was involved said, uh, he was DeFeo's attorney, William Weber. Uh, he was looking for book proposals from his client's story. Wow, and he met with George and Kathy Lutz, and he says that he thinks they were essentially just making up stuff, and wow. that they were making a commercial venture out of it. So wow, the went, whole thing. Well, he said that when he talked to them, they ended, He said they ended up hanging out and drinking and brainstorming about what could go into a horror book. Well, I mean, at least I guess they're making lemonade, right, Beyonce style. Uh, perhaps you're right. Perhaps you're right. Uh, and then they split and that's why there are two varying accounts. And the big one is Amityville Horror, a true story. Uh, and it went through 13 printings in 76. But here's, here's the thing. I mean, when they talk, the medium talks about, uh, was it Hans, uh, Hans Holzer goes with a medium who claims to talk to the dead in 77. The medium says, uh, there's an, Indian chief native american chief on the warpath in the house because it's been built on the site of that sacred burial ground you mentioned Matt mm. um and members of the Montaukett tribe of Long Island are skeptical because they say there are no records of a burial ground in Amityville uh and even if there were Said the tribe's chief, Straight Arrow Cooper, that doesn't mean we will go into somebody's body and capture their soul and control in a very negative way. That's not us.
4: Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows.
3: That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste
0: Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainor, Peso Pluma, Sean. Paul, some forty-one and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each.
4: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com
6: slash
5: concertweek to buy now.
6: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring, with access to over six million active hourly workers kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America
1: goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans, and yet
2: It's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: One last detail on Amityville. No one who has lived in the house on Ocean Avenue since the Lutzes has reported any unusual activity. Which Ooh. is you know, which is a uh a fairly powerful thing, oddly enough, for both sides of the argument. Right. Right. Were there never any ghosts? Did the Warrens and uh company exorcise or cleans clean the house? What's the thing where you burn sage, what's it called? Smudge. Smudging. Smudging, yeah. yeah. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about smudging?
5: I mean, it's just, a you know, basically it's meant to be a cleansing ritual um, where you burn the sage and just walk around your house, and it's supposed to, it uh, cleanses your environment of any, you know, bad energy. odors. Mm-hmm. Right. No, it actually smells pretty bad, oh. in my opinion. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it you does to supposedly it. push out some of the, the negativity.
3: And if you let's go to another case if you travel to their museum you will see a very special raggedy and doll named Annabelle this doll is uh, according to the Warrens haunted and you can see it in various documentaries about the Warrens
4: yes not the the Annabelle doll that's featured in the major motion picture looks nothing like what this Annabelle doll actually looks like um the one in the major motion motion picture has more of the human characteristics It almost looks porcelain. Right,
3: more of an uncanny valley thing.
4: Yeah, the the actual Annabelle doll, it's got red hair, it's knitted, it looks like um triangle nose, round yeah, eyes. Yeah, very much not human, uh, a caricature of what a doll looks like. And but it is huge at least comparatively to a lot of other dolls that I've seen.
3: So a student nurse was given this Raggedy Ann doll in 1970, but it behaved strangely. And so a psychic told the told the nurse that the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a dead girl named Annabelle Higgins, thus the name Annabelle. They tried to accept and nurture the spirit-possessed doll, according to the Warrens, but the doll behaved maliciously. So they contacted the Warrens, who removed the doll to their museum after determining... Uh, through their investigation, that it was demonically possessed. So
4: it started off really slow and and not really much happening. The doll would appear on the bed when, I guess, they believed they had left it on the couch, or they had left it on the couch. It would be standing up at the kitchen table, which, you know, could be odd if you come home from work or school or whatever and you find this doll standing there. Um At one point, I think the doll had blood, or at least what looked like
3: blood on right. its hands and on its chest. Mm-hmm. Um, it got a little funky. Right. This is, uh, this is again, according to them, what well, critics, uh, I guess we'll get to the critics later. We'll just give their, their version of the events. Yeah. So apparently moved on its own. It was creepy. There was blood involved. They, they would do the things you see with the, with the trope of a haunted or possessed doll in horror films, mm-hmm. right? You leave it there. You walk back in, and all of a sudden, it's in a, it's sitting in the chair, right? Or you throw it away. You throw it. Noel Brown throws it out the car as he's driving across Connecticut, and then when he gets back home to Atlanta, he opens the door, and who's sitting there?
4: Yeah, no, I think it's on the stoop, just like it's on the hey, stoop. That's right. Uh, There's this guy Lou, mm-hmm. uh, at least according to their stories, uh, who's a friend, like an acquaintance, I guess and he apparently disliked this doll from the start he he thought the thing was evil maybe he just didn't like dolls uh, who's to say but he he believed that he had a uh, well i'm going to i'm going to tell you the the side of the story and just see if you listeners out there see if this triggers anything from one of our past episodes as he was falling asleep he said he felt paralyzed and he he couldn't move at all and then he saw the doll down at the base of the bed and it started to move up his body and it tried to choke him and he was he felt like what? he was strangling and then he woke up or he you know He says he lost consciousness, and then he woke up, and the doll wasn't there. That sounds exactly like the
5: accounts people give of their sleep paralysis and shadow people coming to them in the night.
4: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and if he already has this dislike of this doll, maybe it is his nightmare that's manifesting. Absolutely. Even in those shadow people stories, I mean, the form
5: of the creature or entity or presence did change from one to the other. I mean, it's dark, so it's going to feel shadowy. But, I mean, yeah, there were definitely accounts of different shaped things and, you know, creatures or whatever. Right. That's fascinating.
4: And, and I don't mean to discount his story. It just sounds so similar that I think you had to mention it.
3: Right. And then we notice again that in these accounts there are uh, – here's the thing. In these accounts – a lot of the evidence or experience is described as a personal sensation. Mm-hmm. I felt physically pushed back. I felt like something was mm-hmm. climbing on me. I felt a presence. Uh the, You know, I felt the temperature drop, but there was not a thermometer around. So the vast majority of the Warren's physical evidence is found in photographs, right? They have all these ghost shots mm-hmm. taken by them. People work for them. Uh They... There's a restaurant called the Carousel Restaurant that has a collection of some of the photographs because the Warrens were regulars there. According to skeptics, most of these are just blobs of light on film and that there are a dozen of ways this could happen accidentally mm-hmm. or purposefully. The And then they also have video evidence, right? Uh, the biggest one is a video of someone called the White Lady of Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut. Uh, it's only viewable at the Warren's home. At least it was. And, uh, apparently they said they couldn't give various objects to skeptics for analysis. And skeptics huh. would say that that means that it's not legit. But then also again, depending on what kind of people these skeptics are, uh, maybe they would just destroy it. Right? You know, uh, they, they did, however, give one team of skeptics a piece of video evidence that showed someone dematerializing. Taken by a mounted camera in a dining room in the middle of night. Uh, on the tape, a young man walks in the room, scratches his head, and poof, disappears. And oh. it's followed by a ghost light. They took this and analyzed it. and They took it to a place called the HB Group. And here's a quote from them. We are witnessing a wipe in this segment of videotape, although there are several different ways in video... Editing to achieve a wiping effect, the most simple ways has been employed here. Deliberately or accidentally, the camcorder stopped recording on the final frame of the person in the room and resumed recording just a few seconds after the person moved outside of the view of the camera. On a related observation, the properties of light alone could dictate a 100 different explanations for the mysterious dot of light that appears seconds after the man vanishes. However, I believe this was caused by a reflection through the dining room window of the headlights of a passing car, the headlights can be seen if you watch the right-hand side of the screen just before the dot of light fades out.
4: That's the kind of stuff I love, analyzing a piece of video or a photograph like that. mean, mm-hmm. it, it it's kind of stinks because in a way you're just throwing water on somebody's fire. But I don't know. Sometimes that water is necessary. Sometimes that water is the cleansing
3: waters of life.
4: Of Lake Minnetonka. Love it.
3: Right. And there's another thing here. Uh, we've got countless cases. We talk, we can talk about the, uh, the trial of RNA Johnson, aka the devil made me do it case, first known court case in the U.S. in which the defense sought to prove innocent, ba- innocence based on the devil, demonic possession. Yes, That's sir. That's crazy. Uh, and denying, uh, denying personal responsibility for the crime. Uh, Johnson was convicted. He only served five years of a 10 to 20-year sentence uh, for the first-degree manslaughter of his landlord, Alan Bono. Uh, according to the testimony from uh, the Glatzel family, their 11-year-old, David Glatzel, had played host to the demon that forced Johnson to kill the landlord. Whoa. So uh they, after watching... Their son, behaving strangely, the family got Ed and Lorraine Warren involved in an effort to cure David. And they had him exercised by a number of Catholic priests, continued for days. According to the people, when they finally drove the presence out, it fled the child's body and took residence within Johnson. And that is why the landlord was killed. As you might imagine, this did not hold up in court. Of course, he was convicted. Uh you can see Discovery Channel's a haunting uh that has an episode where demons dwell it takes a look at this. Of course, this is you know, this was a huge story when it hit yeah. the media.
4: For a moment, let's just imagine that uh your family, uh one of you guys, you you listening, your family or your roommates, uh some you believe, the group of you truly believe that there's a possession going on right? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing weird things and you're experiencing these weird things that only you and your close friends or the people who are being affected are seeing. And then imagine trying to explain that to somebody else and not at least feel like you're insane.
3: Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point. It is a personal thing. Uh, then let's, uh, there's another case here, the Enfield poltergeist as well, uh, where in there, there were claims that there was a poltergeist in a council house in Brimstown, Enfield, England from 77 to 79 involving two sisters. Get this guy's ages 11 and 13. And that's important because as we know from our previous look at poltergeist, the most frequent reports of poltergeist come from early adolescent, uh early adolescent kids, girls uh, growing up. So, and that got a lot of coverage in the British newspapers and like the Amityville thing, it's been um, it's been touted or the inspiration for horror stories. Uh, Ed Warren claimed that one of the kids was sound asleep, levitating in midair. And he concluded they were the subject of demonic possession to sum up what the critics would say. Let's look at science writer Sharon A. Hill, who said that many of the myths and legends surrounding the Warrens have, according to her, been seemingly of their own doing and that people have difficulty separating the Warrens from their Hollywood portrayal. Uh, she also says that there's a lot of sensationalist hype that is not, uh, very incredulous, right? Uh, and they said, and Hill also said that we have nothing but uh, the Warren's word for this or the, his, for the objects in the occult mm-hmm. museum. So they are not without their critics. And the, the best way to sum it up is that, you know, a demonologist finds demonic possession in a lot of cases. Is that because they recognize the signs of this? Or is that because when you are a hammer, every problem looks like a nail? You know what I mean? I can see that argument easily. And, of course, we should also point out that there are there are people who believe in the warrants, believe these stories, at least one of them, if not all of them, Mm -hmm. right? And it's clear that in several of these cases, horrific and tragic things happen. We are talking about murders, right? And whatever the motivation for a murder is, it remains a murder nonetheless, whether or not the devil made you do it. And also we're getting into the nature of belief. That's what we're... Ending on today. It's also
5: kind of of coming full circle because we started with this idea that ghost hunting is as old as perhaps one could argue belief itself. Religion is sort of organized belief, I suppose. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is, you know, this idea of the afterlife. People want to believe these things. They want to um, have evidence. Presented to them that is proof positive that there is an afterlife, you know, even if it's uh, there's sinister forces at work. I mean, I really do think that it would be um easy for certain people to believe some of these accounts from the Warrens because it sort of, uh you know, holds up their own beliefs and sure. allows mm-hmm. them to feel, you know, safe in those beliefs. And Absolutely. there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, a, you know, it's a it's a tricky thing.
4: Belief. Can I tell you something that I believe please do as a videographer, I went through and I was watching some of the, some of the footage that the Warrens take or did take back in the day. Uh, There's this one family. They're sitting at a kitchen table. I believe it's a mother a daughter, or maybe a few other family members in the Warrens. And Mm -hmm. as a videographer, the way that these shots are framed, they are just wide enough to get in Parts of the table, parts of the chair, and then, let's say, the subject would be the daughter Mm -hmm. or the mother holding the chair. Mm -hmm. And they they are discussing, as they're filming this, the demons that are, uh, you know, possessing either the daughter or the chair or the table or something. And the chair will move or the table will move. But you cannot see the full table in frame on any of the different angles that they're using. So it is – I cannot suspend – my um my rational thinking enough to say that there's no way that somebody some party is moving these things these objects right some physical human person mm-hmm. is moving these things and i it makes me so frustrated because if he would only zoom out just a little bit or move the camera away just a little bit i would i would so much more at least be close yeah, to but it if they it. did
5: that then you'd be able to see the person down on the floor moving the table if there is a person if there I'm,
4: exactly if there I'm, is I'm a person teasing please. but it's
5: like you see these things they're always just enough to pique your interest and then there's something that's framed out or it's just blurry enough like you know mm-hmm. like a bigfoot video or something like that where it's oh that's that could be a thing but you know i mean i'm just saying it's just interesting that these quote unquote bits of proof usually fall short in some
4: Sure. I'm just saying, if you're out there and you're a videographer trying to capture some paranormal activity like this, Mm -hmm. use the rule of thirds or
3: just give me a wide shot. Just give me a wide shot. And then there's also there's also the allegation people have that uh, if they are investigating as fairly as they can, some unidentified phenomenon uh, they will accuse the more skeptical of changing the goalpost or raising sure, the burden sure, of proof sure. increasingly. I agree. Which in some cases is a valid criticism.
5: I just want, how have we not gotten some just super baller ghost hunter that's really good at, like, shooting video and has just made a a, a, a collection of, like, super proof positive mm-hmm. pieces of, you know, visual evidence... Of this stuff, how? I mean, if if it was going to happen, do you think? do you think it would have happened by now? With maybe, all the technology maybe that's out there, maybe it will
3: be you, Noel. Well, there have been maybe twelve shows uh, across oh, time. Oh, but come on, those are such—they're
0: all just running around in the dark and say, "I
4: feel a hand.
0: Oh, someone touched me." But, right? You know,
3: they're I tripped.
0: I would. I
4: Spooky would. Crops.
3: I don't think those are serious investigations. I think those are purely entertainment.
4: I think there is one way to do it. And I think one television show got it right back in the year 2000 up until 2002. I, this is this is what I posit to you guys. Okay, uh, we're all ears. One show on MTV called Fear. What they would do, I, you, I don't know if you guys remember this, they would send celebrities, usually alone, with a rig that has a forward-facing uh Camera, a camera that's looking at the face, and they would go alone into a place that's supposedly haunted and do something that has to do with the lore of the haunted house. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is because I think having a single human being alone in a place like that, not only is it going to produce in that human the natural fear that comes from being in a spooky place, Uh even if there's no actual paranormal stuff involved, but it also eliminates... All the other, uh, all the other things that could be happening with someone else making noise, someone else, you know, moving an object in a room or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think you guys, this is how we find the ghosts. We contact MTV, we get fear back, we start, we start a new season. Maybe the three of us are on it. Uh-huh. I don't know on the
5: pilot. What do you think? This isn't the same one where they make the meat like elk penis, is it?
4: No, well, that's fear factor. Fear not factor. Bad. This is called fear. I, you guys never saw this show? Can no. I play
3: the ghost? <sighs> I guess that invalidates the show. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that there's at least one that is doing it correctly. We'll check it out. And if you think we can pull the reboot, ladies and gentlemen, we're all about it. Matt, you have persuaded me. Noel, what do you think? You want to give it a shot? Ah, uh, Why not, man? I'm up for
4: anything. <laughs> like seriously, just go into an old jail and sit in the cell for an hour. No, I'm not going to be alone. Do that. No, no. Why? That sounds spooky. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. I if you like, really want to,
5: you guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an admission here. Before you and all of you listeners, I've never been to a, a haunted house like one of those, like you know.
4: Like the fake ones? Really?
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm scared of They're them. They're fun. I don't oh, like it. No. I don't like getting scared.
4: Do you have any idea? That's how... why
5: I'm so, that's why I'm poo-pooing all this stuff, cause I'm like, nope. Not, not, <laughs> that not, I was not. wondering. You yeah. would
4: make perfect television though, is what I'm saying. I would freak out, as it were.
3: <laughs> I think, I, you know, I would go just because I'm, I'm interested in what it's like to feel things. I don't know if I've, uh, you know, maybe this would be the time I, I have an emotion. So MTV, get at us. We're ready. Alright, and, uh, we hope that you enjoyed our episode here on the controversy surrounding Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, we want to hear from you. Do you think this is legit? Do you think that they have actually found things? If so, uh, what? Uh, we do want you to know that you can visit the Occult Museum uh, at the time of this recording, which is May 2016. Lorraine Warren uh, is alive at the time of this recording, mm-hmm. However, I do not know if she is continually granting interviews. And whether you believe their stories or not, uh, it seems that they and many, many other people around the world do believe them and at the very least, these people are a hallmark of American psychic folklore, which I know sounds like a weird genre, but it's a storied one, and it's very good. Who else should we add to this? Who else should we take a look at in U.S., British, world history, especially if it's someone that people in the West haven't heard about, we'd love to check it out. So let us know. You can write to us on Facebook and Twitter. We are Conspiracy Stuff at both of those. You can check out our earlier podcasts and ghosts at our website, com. And just to show you how important it is to hear from listeners, I think it's time for Shout Out Corners.
4: Our first shout out goes to a website. It's the Outpost Forum you uh, you may have visited this before i don't I, it seems like a lot of people are going there there's a specific thread on this website that's dedicated to this show and our buddy Casper Parks who is a writer who's written to us several times um he updates the thread every week with our latest video so if you know you're looking for another place to talk with people about our show there you go check out the outpost forum there's also all kinds of other stuff you can explore there too so check it out
3: and our next shout out comes to us, uh, from an anonymous source who said, please give a shout out to, uh, Joel Ploss, P-L-O-S-Z. Joel. Who's shouting you out, Joel? Yeah, who could that be, man? We can't tell you. Our next shout out is a personal
5: shout out for me. Um, I'd like to shout out my girlfriend, Roxanne, who just finished listening to the gin and, um, Presidential primary episodes. Oh. On the road. She's traveling for work and she listened to him back to back and, and gave some really nice feedback. And, and you know, and she's a tough one. So what did she say? She said that I sounded really smart. Nice. You are pretty smart. Well, let's not, let's not split hairs here. Anyway, (laughs) Roxanne, thank you for thinking that I'm smart, for allowing me to maintain that illusion with you. And, uh, you know, (laughs) bias. Thanks for being my lady friend. And, um, I hope you have a good, uh, good work, work times.
3: What a, what a beautiful romantic end to today's shout out corner.
4: That was really nice. Thanks, Diana. Clino, That's my wife, by the way. I'm just putting that there. She'll never hear that, but it's there. She'll feel it in her heart.
3: And if you would like to send a shout-out to us or a suggestion for a future topic, a story about ghosts, we would love to hear it. Social media is not your thing. No worries. You can write to us directly. We are Conspiracy
5: at HowStuffWorks.com.